In response to high gas prices, Joe Biden suggests everyone just buy expensive electric cars. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki dodges questions on whether Biden will apologize to Kyle Rittenhouse. Plus, a new survey on illegal border crossings blows holes in the left's asylum excuse. All that and more. I'm Bobby Everly. This is a 13-minute news hour. God bless the United States of America. Okay, friends, welcome to the show. Happy Wednesday. I hope you're having a great week. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to start with Joe Biden and his comments this week on the economy, and in particular, gas prices. It's Biden's version of a let them eat cake moment because as Americans are struggling with inflation and high gas prices and vaccine mandates, Joe Biden is saying, hey, you want to save on gas? Go out and buy an expensive electric car. I complain that he's completely out of touch. We all know that he's not all there mentally, but these economic policies are a conscious effort to drive the left's Green New Deal agenda, which will continue to drive energy prices upward and hurt American families. During a speech to reporters, and I call it a speech because once again, he assembled reporters, but didn't take any questions from them. Biden talked about how high gas prices were around the world. Fine, except we don't care. What we want to know is what's going on here in the United States. Biden then framed the situation like this. The big part of the, of the reason Americans are facing high gas prices is because oil-producing countries and large companies have not ramped up the supply of oil quickly enough to meet the demand. I got on the phone with leaders from other countries grappling with this challenge to try to find ways to lower oil prices and ultimately to, to the, the price you pay at the pump. So today I'm announcing that the largest ever release from the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve to help provide the supply we need as we recover from this pandemic. Where to start? First of all, Biden talks about oil-producing countries, but there's one crucial oil-producing country that he leaves out, the United States of America. He's pressuring other countries to ramp up supply, but doing nothing about the supply here. And then his symbolic release of oil from the strategic reserves, the price of oil actually went up after his announcement. Here's a policy update that really sums things up. The president notably suspended all federal leases on oil and gas and shut down the Keystone XL pipeline after taking office, which hurt the amount of domestic oil production. Domestic oil production was on a steady rise in the United States when former President Donald Trump was in office until the coronavirus pandemic hit. Domestic oil production continues to lag, even though the demand for oil has recovered. Biden still has no plan to increase the domestic production of oil, but he frequently complains that OPEC nations are not releasing enough oil to the world. Biden is pressuring other nations to ramp up production, while America is sitting there saying, put me in, coach. In the meantime, Biden is actually bashing America's energy producers for the high prices. The price of gasoline in the wholesale market has fallen by about 10% over the last few weeks. But the price of the pump hasn't budged a penny. In other words, gas supply companies are paying less and making a lot more. And they do not seem to be passing that on to the consumers at the pump. In fact, if the gap between wholesale and retail gas prices was in line with past averages, Americans would be paying at least 25 cents less per gallon right now, as I speak. 
Instead, companies are pocketing the difference as profit. This is just classic left-wing demagoguery, and I hope all of you can see through it. Here's what Biden wants you to think, that the price of gasoline is entirely based on the price of oil. If oil prices are low, gas is low. If oil prices are high, gas is high. Well, for one thing, the price of oil is high, but Biden acts as if once the energy companies have the oil, that they just wave a magic wand and it turns into gasoline and just appears at the pump. Just look at what's going on around the country with inflation and supply chain issues. The oil needs to be refined. There are costs involved. Prices are going up on everything and that affects refining. The gasoline has to be transported and there's a shortage of trucking due to overregulation and left-wing policies. There's also the cost of shipping and there's the over effort by Biden and the left to hurt domestic production. Biden fails to mention any of that as he plays the classic evil corporation narrative. But then in his speech, Biden did offer a solution. My effort to combat climate change is not raising the price of gas or increasing its availability. It, what it's doing, it's increasing the availability of jobs. Jobs building electric cars like the one I drove at the GM Detroit, the GM factory in Detroit last week. For the hundreds of thousands of folks who brought one of those electric cars, they're going to save $800 to $1,000 in fuel costs this year. That vehicle that Biden drove in retails for $112,000. He's talking about savings of $800 to $1,000 on gas for driving an electric car. Of course, those savings don't kick in until you actually buy the electric car, and most people can't afford them. The logic is just insane. And yet that's Joe Biden pushing policies that drive up prices on energy and everything else and hurt the power and freedom of hardworking Americans. All right, next, let's talk about White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. But first, if you're new to the show or haven't subscribed yet, regardless of platform, just search on my name, Hit that subscribe button. Make sure notifications are turned on. That way you can follow the show and help us grow. Okay, I want to go over some comments. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, because she was asked whether Joe Biden would apologize to Kyle Rittenhouse for calling him a white supremacist. Before we get into that, I'd just like to say that if you haven't seen the full interview with Rittenhouse and Tucker Carlson, I would highly recommend it. It's just terrific. And during part of the conversation, Rittenhouse was asked about Biden's comments. What did you make of the president of the United States calling you a white supremacist? Mr. President, if I could say one thing to you, I would urge you to go back and watch the trial and understand the facts before you make a statement. That's not a small thing to be called that. No, it's, it's actual malice defaming my character for him to say something like that. So do you think Biden or Jen Psaki or anyone on the left will take Rittenhouse's advice and actually watch the trial? Maybe look at the evidence? Well, Jen Psaki was asked about Biden's comments by Fox News's Peter Ducey, and here's that exchange. Would the president ever apologize to the acquitted Kenosha shooter Kyle Rittenhouse for suggesting online and on TV that he is a white supremacist? <laughs> Well, let's be clear what we're talking about here. This is about a campaign video 
released last year that used President Trump's own words during a debate as he refused to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. And President Trump, as we know from history, and as many of you covered, didn't just refuse to condemn militia groups on the debate stage, he actively encouraged them throughout his presidency. Saki was asked about Biden, a Biden apology, and she talks about former President Trump. She also mentioned that Biden's comments regarding Rittenhouse were in a campaign video that focused on Trump. But as Ducey notes, that wasn't the only comment Biden made. You're saying that it was just a campaign video. It wasn't. The president also gave an interview where he said this uh, Rittenhouse was part of a militia coming out of Illinois. Have you ever heard this president referring to Trump say one negative thing about white supremacists? These are all things. Uh, none of this was proven in the trial. And Kyle Rittenhouse is saying that the president had actual malice in defaming his character. Is that what happened here? The, the president spoke to the verdict uh, last week. Uh, he has obviously condemned uh, the hatred and division and violence we've seen around the country by groups like the Proud Boys. It's interesting that neither Saki nor Biden nor anyone on the left will ever mention BLM or Antifa violence. And of course, she completely ignored the question because the fact is that the left thinks they can call anyone a racist or a bigot or a homophobe, and there are no consequences. We'll see if a big dose of civil lawsuits changes their mind. All right, next, the crisis at the southern border continues, and no one in the Biden administration is doing anything about it. In fact, as we all know, they are making the problem worse. They want this. They want the flood of millions of illegal aliens like we've seen since Biden took office, because they see potential voters people who, to a large degree, will become dependent on the government and thus will vote Democrat. That's the thinking. And one of the main talking points from the Democrats is that people storming the border are fleeing persecution. They are seeking asylum. We know this isn't true. The asylum process is being abused because these illegal border crossers know that once they get into the country, the chances are very high that they can just disappear or at the very least, never be kicked out of the country again. And now we have more evidence that the left-wing persecution talking point is just that, a talking point. Here's the story. Migrants from Central America are rushing to the U.S. illegally, not because of violence or natural disasters in their home countries, but because of jobs. A major new study found challenging claims that they are asylum seekers fleeing persecution. The study also calculated that migrants from the immigration hubs of El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala pay smugglers $1.7 billion a year to be shepherded into the U.S. illegally. And a staggering 43% of Central Americans have a desire to leave their home countries, up from just 8% a couple of years ago. It's just incredible. 43% want to leave, and why not? The Biden administration has spread the word that the law doesn't matter that the process doesn't matter. There are people waiting in line to do things the right way, the legal way. But Biden is showing that the southern border is wide open. Here's more. Nearly 30% of households in the three key countries reported getting money sent back home from a household member working in another country, according to the report. A joint effort by the Migration Policy Institute, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and the World Food Program. The analysts conducted a 5,000 in-person survey in the spring and ran an online survey with more than 6,000 responses, building a broad picture of the factors pushing people to leave. They concluded 
that while violence and insecurity are long-standing triggers for migration, most people cited economic reasons for wanting to leave. This is a key finding, and it directly contradicts the key talking point of Biden, Harris, and others. Most are not fleeing persecution. They just want a better job and better wages. That's understandable. Who doesn't? But that does not qualify as a reason for asylum. As the story points out, according to U.S. law, asylum seekers must be fleeing government persecution. General levels of violence or rough economic conditions are not supposed to be sufficient. Now, what we are all seeing is people coming here falsely acclaiming asylum. They are released into the country, given a work permit, and this provides an incentive for more people to come. And next, since I'll be off this Friday, this story can easily be our relaxed brain story for the week. It involves observations in a survey conducted at Stanford University, and it has to do with safety, or more accurately, perceived safety. Certainly not follow the science safety. Here's the story. As colleges across the country impose mask mandates, Stanford Review Editor-in-Chief and student Maxwell Meyer has grown increasingly worried about his peers' bizarre, pointless habits. This prompted him to conduct a social experiment in which he found that at his school, Stanford University, students are more likely to wear masks while riding their bikes than they are a safety helmet. Per the school's policy, masks are required indoors despite vaccination status, but remain optional in outdoor settings. That's right. Students at Stanford University are more likely to wear a mask outdoors on a bike by themselves than wear a bike helmet. What happened to following the science? None of this makes any sense, but we are now in an era of left-wing shaming and cancel culture in which people are wearing masks to virtue signal, certainly not because of the science. Here's some of the data. On September 22nd, Meyer observed 400 students cycling on campus. Of the sample size, 134 students, or 34%, wore a mask while riding their bike, but not a helmet, with only 10% wearing a helmet without a mask, and 7% wearing both. Overall, Meyer found that among student cyclists, 41% wore masks, while only 17% wore helmets. Claiming that 99% of the university is vaccinated against COVID-19, Meyer expressed concern over his fellow students' mental well-being, writing that they have adopted bizarre, pointless habits to comport with new expectations about how to stay safe, like wearing masks outdoors, all while continuing in much more risky behaviors. 99% are vaccinated at Stanford. If you follow the science, you know that that statistic doesn't matter either. Vaccinated, unvaccinated, everyone can carry and spread the virus. It's going to do what it's going to do. And don't even get me started on the science, the actual studies involving thousands of people regarding masks. The point here is that Stanford University is certainly not doing a good job of education, but they are surely delivering on indoctrination. Friends, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget, if you're new to the show or haven't subscribed yet, regardless of platform, just search on my name, hit that subscribe button, make sure notifications are turned on. That way you can follow the show and help us grow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our next show is actually going to be Monday evening at the usual time, 6.30 p.m. Central. I'm taking Thanksgiving off, and I encourage all of you to get together with family, put politics aside for a couple days, and be thankful. 
be thankful for the country that we live in and the family that you're with. Until then, I'm Bobby Everly. This is the 13-Minute News Hour.